have to just constantly make sure that everyone around you is just feeling supported and feeling heard. What's the saying that I love, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. It's, it's totally true. Hey everyone, welcome back to the Keep It Quirky podcast. I'm your host, Katie Quinn, and this is the pod where I talk with fellow creatives and entrepreneurs about food, travel, and the discipline and drive to create. Passion begets passion, so come on with me and let's do this. Hey, hey everyone, and welcome back to the pod. I'm happy to be back with you. Again, still from the United States, Connor and I continue our sojourn here. You know, with COVID, it made the whole travel experience a hundred times more stressful as you can imagine and as I've talked about. But the beautiful thing is that it has forced us to slow down. We can't just travel around hopping on a plane every other day and visiting a million people all within a week's time. It's really encouraged us to spend quality time, non-rushed quality time with the people closest to our hearts, family and really, really dear friends. So that has been an absolute joy. Getting to do things like tie-dye workshops with our family and, uh, oh, and pickleball. Are you familiar with pickleball? I love tennis. I'm a tennis gal through and through, but I'd never played pickleball and am officially a massive fan now at the time of this recording an undefeated champ just saying summer is proving to be really wonderful i hope it's really great for all of you too and i hope that you get a ton of inspiration and entertainment from today's episode with the lovely hannah osbrink so hannah is the executive editor at chowhound and she has an impressive resume that includes everything from being a senior editor at Food 52, and she's also worked in the kitchen at Michelin-starred chef John George's ABC Kitchen restaurant in Manhattan. She also has her master's in journalism, and she attended the French Culinary Institute. So whether it's behind the desk at a major outlet or behind the cutting board at a restaurant, she's worked at established companies, at startups, and she's dappled in the freelance game. I mean, Hannah has a wealth of experiences that really anyone interested in food media can learn a lot from. What's more is that her path proves that there is no such thing as a predictable, perfect path in this industry. And honestly, like if it even exists at all these days. So in this conversation, Hannah talks about how to follow your passions in a way that opens up career opportunities and what it means to her to be an executive editor and the parallels that she sees of being a mom and leading a team of people. So let's hop into the chat. Hannah Osbrick, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. I'm such a fan of you, Katie Q, your brand, and all of your podcasts as well. I try to tune in as, as often as I can. Oh, you're so sweet. Well, I'm a fan right back at you, and you have such an awesome and winding career path that I just think it is not only fascinating, but that people can really learn a lot from. So I'm really excited to dive into that. Okay. Yeah, it's probably not a traditional path, but um, 
yeah, I'm happy to share whatever I can to help people. Let's rewind, rewind and start at the beginning and well, the beginning of your food <laughs> awareness. But so what is your earliest conscious memory or even favorite kind of childhood memory of food? Oh gosh, childhood memory of food. Um, well, I was born in Korea. I'm like really taking you back now. <laughs> I spent my like, you know, initial, you know, three years in Korea and um, traditional Korean households are pr pretty like multi-generational. So I spent a lot of time with my harmony, my grandmother. And um, yeah, I, I have just really fond memories of like sitting on her lap, eating or just following her around and watching her cook. And she's probably feeding me things that maybe, you know, shouldn't be fed to a small child. Who knows? Yeah, like I don't what? know. Like what was, what are your memories? I don't, probably like, you know, overly spiced or like fermented things or. Yes. I don't know. I have like a really early memory of um, enjoying like coffee milk. So I'm like, probably kids shouldn't be drinking coffee. <laughs> <laughs> but I love, like to this day, like. I love coffee ice cream, um, you know, really, I, it, coffee anything. So I feel like I might have had a, a sip here and there in my early years. But yeah, I think just from an early age, the Korean diet is really varied and like vegetable rich and pretty strong flavored. So um, that really laid the groundwork for my, uh, laid the groundwork for my palate. And how has that evolved at, into adulthood? I mean, I, there's nothing I won't eat. Yeah. Okay. Um, <laughs> you see, you're like, you're years ahead of most kids. Yeah. I, I think, well, I, I can really only speak to um, like the Korean diet because I, that's what I experienced firsthand growing up largely, obviously influenced by um, Japanese cuisine too, but um, there's no separate like kids menu. I mean, maybe they'll like tone down some flavorful elements, but it's by and large the same food, right? So just growing up with that and just eating in a communal way with like all of your family and feeding each other, it's just, it, it very much, you know, kind of set the set the tone for what would ultimately be like a life of really enjoying every type of food with groups of people um because that's all i knew yeah and, and so now as an adult like travel from what i know of you travel is is a real love of yours and i know paris is top of the list i mean um, who does it like <laughs> I mean, actually there are some people who don't care too much for you know, Paris, but not, right. that's not me. I don't know her. <laughs> <laughs> what role has like discovering other cultures food played in, in your life? Oh, I mean, that is such a necessary component of um, understanding cultures and food ways. And even if you don't know the language, you can really bond with people over, you know, over a simple meal. So I think just having that open mind and willingness to sit down with someone, anyone, um, and have them kind of take you through, um, you know, their culinary journey on a simple plate is, it speaks volumes to um, the type of learner you are and then ultimately teacher you can be to whoever else you can share that information with.
Yeah, really well said. And gosh, like I, I think just maybe just because it's COVID era, but just hearing you <laughs> talk about this and like putting words to the importance of of travel and other cultures and food. I'm just like, oh, when do we get to do this again? I know, it's it's such a take for granted um, activity. I mean, and I know you guys love to travel and um, it's not really just for leisure. It Certainly there's a leisure aspect of travel, but it's really educational. Absolutely. Um, and you get as much out of it as you want, but even as like a passive traveler, there's no way you can like go through the world or go around the world without being impacted in some significant ways. Absolutely. Oh, I love what you say about like you get as much out of it as you want because so much of it is like a, just kind of a mental like willingness and openness. Um, and I think that could be said for a lot of life right? <laughs> totally. Yeah. All right. So let's, let's get into your current professional life. So what does an executive editor do? So you're executive editor at Chowhound, which is a part of CBS Interactive. And what, what does an executive editor do? I would say it's, it might be easier to think about it and in in what doesn't an executive editor do. Obviously with, you know, um, the title editor in it. I uh, help top edit a number of pieces, but beyond that, I think it, and you know, and I steer the ship in terms of editorial um, and commerce strategy for the site. And I'm in touch with our video and social teams to kind of coalesce everything, make sure we're all running on the same track. But in some ways, I think it's kind of being um, a mama bear <laughs> to the team um and it's a role i you know i take seriously our team is small it's just a handful of us so it's just you know constantly um being a champion of everyone's work but also mm. pushing them to make sure that they're getting out of the experience as much um as they can too you know keeping in mind individuals career paths is really important to me i want to be sure that i can be there as a support and keep them accountable for the goals that they have set forth for themselves too. I love this, so. that like so much of what you're describing about your role is actually about other people um, and, and helping other people get to, to the next level. Yeah, I think um, there's, I, I don't really see it in any other way. I don't know that you can be a good leader without recognizing and acknowledging the hard work that um, you know, your reports and your fellow team members do for and with you. It's, you know, I didn't get here alone. So um, you have to just constantly make sure that everyone around you is like, just feeling supported and feeling heard. Um, what's the saying that I love, you know, rising tide lifts all boats. It's, it's totally true. Like I can't mm. just enjoy um, a perch by myself without making sure that all my team members are feeling good about themselves. I mean, God, I feel like the, I, I was like almost surprised to, to hear that be the, the way that you answer the question. And I, it's obviously because of where I'm coming from as like a soul, like a solo creator type person and entrepreneur. Like I, if I'm lucky and I get a certain project that either gives me the budget to hire a team of people to work with, or in very rare occasions, I'll be put with a 
a team um, to work with. And it's always amazing. But when I think of my career, I, this, this might sound like very selfish, but I think it's just the reality of, of my role right now. I really just think about myself and what I'm doing. So I would love to hear more about what, what this is like, like really leading a team. I mean, don't get me wrong. I am also pursuing like my podcast as well. And that's been, you know, a great source of pride. And, Which is um, fantastic. And, and you do such a great job with it, Hannah. It's oh, called, it's called Table Talk. Um, and I'll link to it in the description of this podcast so you all can check it out. Um, a quick tangent on that. Yeah. Just, the, the guest list is so fun. You have different um, cultures represented and different kinds of people. And um, it, it's really great. And so uh, how, do you, how do you go about choosing your guests? Um, well, our first season it wrapped earlier this year, again, before COVID time. So I was fortunate enough to be able to speak to all of them in studio. Um, but we had eight wonderful guests. Um, and as you say, they kind of range the gamut of um, the types of people you can find in the food, um, media, and creative space. And yeah, I, I cherry picked my subjects because number one, um, I have known about them in some capacity. Like I was interested in them and their work prior to um, this, you know, project coming together. And I really wanted to choose subjects who, A, I mean, it, every, every subject is different. So I don't want to put, you know, an umbrella statement over it, but you know, you have some very recognizable big names like, you know, like a Gail Simmons on Top Chef, but then maybe you um, have not really heard of some of the non-American based cookbook authors. Um, I love, again, I, you have to look outward, right? And so um, there's a lot of great food media going on outside of our shores. And we have a big country and we have a lot to do and to like um, continue to, you know, showcase the great food on American soil um, in the contiguous states. But yeah, I think that, um, I think also being in New York, it's like you're constantly surrounded by so many people who are like coming in and out of the city. And that's, it's just an important part of um, food media that I wanted to highlight. But yeah, like there's great food and food subjects who you'll probably hear from on other podcasts, but like here are some that perhaps you might not know of, or you'll be hearing a lot more about soon. You know, I, I am so um, living in England. I'm so skewed in terms of like, you've had a couple really good people on from England, like Gaz Oakley, uh, like Benjamina, um, Iboyhi, thank yeah. you. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and so I don't really have a good sense of like how well known they are or aren't in America because they're yeah. so, they're, you know, they're well known over here. For sure. And someone like Gaz, he has like a YouTube empire. So yeah. you really have to also be familiar or interested in the YouTube space, which I am. I love, I love consuming YouTube content. And you um, have your own YouTube channel, Mood Food, oh, but we'll oh, get yes. there too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, yeah, so it's like I'm not vegan, but I can enjoy good content when I see it. And mm. so someone like Gaz is um he's such an activist, proactive, you know, and kind of 
speaking to a generation, uh, a new generation of cooks and um, food and food media consumers. And so it's really fascinating to see his journey from um, kind of a, with a pretty traditional um, initial start. Like he was working in restaurant kitchens when he was a teenager. And that, I feel like in Europe, that is very traditional, right? It's like you kind of know what path you're going to go yeah. down. And then he just, you know, kind of diverged a bit and then look at him now. It's like, it's fine to take those chances because you can end up doing something that you love even more. Totally. And like, yeah, social media technology, like these new platforms have helped that so much. <laughs> there's, yeah. there's so many more opportunities. Um, so, so I love that you have started the podcast and are are interviewing so many interesting people with it. What has been, the, so you have a journalist background, but what's been the biggest challenge in like interviewing these people or what's a, a kind of like unexpected part of, of putting on your podcaster hat? I don't, that's a really good question. I, I'm, I think as a journalist, I'm, I'm so accustomed to not inserting myself into the story like and like you should not <laughs> that is a you know journalistic code but you know times are changing the mediums by which we share and disseminate information are changing like the technology allows us to be in it in a way that actually might help amplify or you know give some better context to a story so in that sense like if i'm interviewing a subject there's no way i can do it without bringing a part of myself in so that could be good or bad. I don't know. It depends on what your point of view is. Um, so yeah, I think I, I'm not sure how to answer your specific question, but I think, um, and maybe this is a suitable answer, but I would hope that I'm bringing um, a little bit of myself to, uh, you know, illuminating these great figures um, and what they have to bring to the table. The, yeah. this metaphorical metaphorical table that we're always talking about yeah yeah <laughs> well and so that's and hence the podcast name is very applicable to table talk there, yeah. there's the table there it is there it is <laughs> no I do think you do a really good job Hannah um as kind of a side note of of inserting yourself but just enough so like for instance when you're talk, talking to Benjamina about cakes and stuff you know you can kind of like throw in oh yeah, I love this kind of cake. Or like, oh my God, Forum 20 Blackbirds like is the best. And I love, you know, it, um, and I, I do think it adds um, interest and just character overall. No, thank you. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I said, there for my, the interview subjects I um, worked with, I felt so familiar with their work already. So it was really easy for me to do like a deep dive and um, yeah, feel intimate with their work from the start. Yeah. Intimacy with with a subject. Since you have this background in journalism, I mean, talk to me about the the research that um, would go into any any like food piece that you do. Because I do think it's different coming at food writing from a place of having this like you know research heavy experience versus like I like the taste of pepperoni or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I, the reason why there are only eight subjects, and I, I say only because most series are a little longer than that, but I really wanted to make sure I did a proper job um, interviewing my subjects. And what that entailed for me 
um, and it differed slightly for each one, of course, because everyone is different, but um, roughly the process was the same in that I would read every person's latest book or cookbook cover to cover. Um, and then having already been familiar with their work, I would, you know, go back to perhaps uh, their old blog posts or old interviews or, you know, just do a little digging. Um, and food media is a small world. So uh, there are a lot of people we share in common and, you know, just um, asking people like, what are some memorable dishes or anecdotes you can share about this subject? It, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pleasure, like it's work, but it's a pleasure to do. <laughs> so um, I'm not going to say it's like, you know, a real slog or anything like that. It was a, a true pleasure to just have an opportunity to go a little deeper to people I've admired for a while. Bring us back to when you first um, hit the, the professional world and what do you decide you want to do? Okay, so initially, like, um, getting out of college, I thought I was going to law school, like so many kids, you know, I feel like that's the default course for um, many kids. And, and kids with like, a, I feel a bit of a creative bend too, right? They'll say, oh, well, I can do creative stuff with law. Yeah, exactly. Like everyone needs a lawyer. Exactly. The U.S. is, you know, extremely litigious. Like right. <laughs> lawyers are never gonna not um, have a job. So it's, you know, it's stable, it's professional. But you know, I after spending some time as a paralegal in like a huge law firm, I realized like actually no, this is not the path for me. And so my parents were insistent that I. I still pursue an advanced degree. So I look to what I have always been interested, words, books, new stories. And so journalism school just felt like a natural fit. And, you know, they deemed that like an acceptable <laughs> choice. So um, off I went to uh, Chicago. Um, I went to Northwestern's Medill School of Journalism, which, oh, gosh, it's just the I mean, I, I haven't gone to other programs, but it was just the best program for me. And I am still in close contact with a number of classmates who have all gone on to um, pursue, you know, great careers. But it was it was a fantastic um, time in my life. And so um, did that I for a quick, year. I have a quick yeah. question. So where, when your parents came to the States with you, um, where did you, where did you all settle? Oh, in, in New York. Yeah, I'm a New Yorker. As a Midwesterner, I'm an Ohioan. What was it like going to Chicago? Oh, oh, as a New Yorker? Oh my yeah. gosh. I, I actually didn't have any preconceived notions, um, but I loved it. I mean, it's, you, uh, New York, I'm a New Yorker, so like no place will ever compare. However, Chicago is a wonderful, amazing, beautiful, clean city, gorgeous architecture, clean, wide sidewalks, and yeah. that fantastic midwestern just like hospital like everyone's just so nice and for a new yorker you're like what do you want <laughs> but, <laughs> totally. you, you quickly slip in like they're not out to get you they're just friendly nice oh. people <laughs> um and you know lake michigan i was there you know in the summer it's just it's a really magical city and i think um yes the winters are very uh severe but um you know new york winters aren't uh, a walk in the park either so yeah i i encourage everyone to you know check chicago out especially in the summer it is 
so wonderful and the food scene amazing yeah it's um, it's it's got it going on yeah it what are they called? the city of neighborhoods which is absolutely the case it's it's sprawling so you if you have a car it's great but you can easily get around on public transportation yeah and i think as students we really appreciated the high quality of life for like lower cost of living well lower yes. comparative to new york <laughs> yes okay so uh so you yes. you graduate you graduate yes. from um school uh, from grad school and what's next yes and then i was um a producer at bloomberg news for several years um where i covered everything from you know breaking news to um what i eventually wanted to focus on which is more features long form features magazine style reporting and um like lifestyle so bloomberg back then had an arts and culture show for which i would spend any extra time um helping out with you know small segments on like the arts the food scene um um, etc. So doing that more real made me realize like actually this is what I want to do. And so that's when I really um, started the pivot to not just changing up my um, focus from financial news and business journalism to more of a lifestyle and food focus, but also the medium. So I was primarily doing like television and now I wanted to pivot to digital because I felt like that's where um, the future was. And obviously the television background still, um, you know, like the skills that I obtained being a television producer still came in handy. Um, and even now it's like visual uh, entertainment is still very much a part of our lives. It's just on a different platform, it, you know, merged with the, the digital arm. So yeah. And so I slowly made the pivot and, you know, I worked for places like people.com, instyle.com, and um, which were largely more still like news, celebrity, and lifestyle focused. But I, I just really wanted to like sink myself into the food space. And so I had an opportunity to go to culinary school, which I took. And again, like I loved culinary school so much. Like it's called school, but it wasn't. I would like go with, a, a, you know, beaming. Like, you know, if, if this says anything about how I was as a student, you know, as a child, you could probably tell I might have been like a little of a brown noser, but I just love school so much. <laughs> and, you know, culinary school, it's, it's, um, it's hard, you know, it's physical work. You're like standing for, you know, you're standing for several hours a day. And at that point I was, um, work. It was the part-time program. So I went, it was like three evenings a week from like 5.30 to 10.30 PM. So it was like after a full day of work. Oh, and wow. I, and I just loved it because it, you're, I was just doing exactly what I wanted to do. And the people, my classmates, again, like I'm in touch with all of these um, great folks, Anna Gass included. She was a, a classmate of mine and yeah, we just had a ball. And so um who and Anna Guess, who just came out with a fantastic cookbook called Heirloom Kitchen. Yes, everyone go check it out. It is um, an amazing cookbook, and she's yes. just a fantastic person. It is fantastic. Um, so, yeah, I, so I did culinary school, and I knew I didn't want to um, be in a restaurant kitchen per se, but towards the end, I was like, you know what? I, I really want to work in a restaurant kitchen. I want to see if I can swing this. So did you leave your part-time job that you had held down while, culinary, while doing culinary school so that you could work at a restaurant? 
Yeah, yeah. Towards the end, it didn't. Um, that wasn't a good fit for me. That okay. particular job. So I ended up um, graduating and then going. And during culinary school, I had you know I kind of had to start from square one. I had like an internship at the then Martha Stewart Show test or the Martha Stewart show kitchen, not mm -hmm. test kitchen, um, which was a fabulous experience as well. And yeah, I just really liked being in the kitchen. I wanted to see if I could do it in a professional setting. And so after I graduated, I, um, went to ABC kitchen. This is when chef Dan Kluger, um, was like, you know, and he's still, I, I love chef Dan, but he was like, this is like the hottest table in town and it's still, um, not at the current moment because of COVID, but it's still a very popular restaurant. Um, produce Ford, for anyone who's not familiar, just really inventive um, uh, ways to look at vegetables, though it's not uh, vegetable exclusive by any means. And yeah, it's a Jean George property as well. So, so I have to ask, just because you had kind of prefaced your decision to go to journalism school with like that your parents signed off on it um because you know i think that it probably is uh, like it's it's part of the, the immigrant story and experience right it's like uh, your kids are going to go do this wonderful stuff and if it's like we're, how did your parents feel or how did you feel about telling your parents like I'm remember that degree I got and this like path I was beginning, I'm going to actually pivot and do this other thing, which might not be as shiny, sparkly. Um, yeah. You know, totally. I mean, I'm sure they had some reservations, but, um, my journalism experience was, it's not mutually exclusive from food as we know now. Right. So right. it's not like I wasn't leaving it. I was supplementing it. And in fact, kind of going deeper in a niche category is, so that, is, that is how I'd like to see it. <laughs> well, yeah. And so, I mean, well, which has proven to be absolutely true and you've taken it and run with it. And I, and I do see how that experience um, in your in your resume, you know, has helped help, has helped propel you forward. But at the time, <laughs> did you have that in mind of like, and now and then I'm going to fuse these things together in the future? Or, or was it? Yeah, just I mean, I don't know if I was so um, cognizant at the time, but I knew that like what I was doing made sense to me. Okay. And also, I like, yes, um, I'm coming from more of an immigrant background. However, like Koreans dedication to like education is, is a very real thing. So it's like, no one can ever take education away, away from you. So in that sense, it was a, um, going to culinary school. Well, culinary school sounds so fancy. Um, it is really a vocational, a set of vocational skills that you get that help that, you know, continue to help me in my everyday life and running like a household. So it's, um, as you know, Katie, it's like being very mindful of all the things in your fridge and not wasting. It's like keeping a mental like bank yes. of your food. So much of it is just this mental organizational skill. Totally, right? <laughs> totally. And it's um, like what you get out of it that you might not get um, elsewhere is it's the timing and like the purpose and the speed kind of mimicking what like a restaurant kitchen would be like. But I think the skills that I got that, um, you know, I would recommend anyone, you know, considering if they can culinary school is also the camaraderie. You can't really replicate that. Um, if that's important to you, it depends where you are in your life. If, you know, 
but I felt like at that time I just needed to be with others who are just like really into food and like doing things to make their dreams you know come to life but yeah they're very real skills that you get out of culinary school just like you know being able to um you know sanitize properly or like um break down a fish properly because you know what like buying a whole fish or a whole chicken is more economical than buying things piecemeal yeah so you know and then more delicious one might argue (laughs) yeah yeah always bone in don't be afraid of fish bones either um (laughs) wait so So, i I have to ask then was i mean was my quest question and like an assumption that you have experienced this like immigrant pressure from your parents it was is that totally off base obviously i'm not speaking from experience i'm speaking from things like anecdotes i've heard um no, I, I, no, I think that's, um, I, I think in, in my case, um, while I wasn't pushed to be like a, a doctor or a lawyer from a very young age, like the importance on academics, um, was very much a part of my life from an early age. And so like, yes, if I got, you know, grades back in the low nineties, it's like, why didn't I get high 90s or 100 you know these are valid questions that that I was I was asked and that's in retrospect it's really because I think they just especially my mom wanted to make sure I was in a place where I was as you know set up for success as possible Mm -hmm. when she's not around to like constantly make sure that like you know things are being done so so she just ingrained in me from an early yeah exactly it's like take care of your own stuff, push yourself to be the best, like, don't be complacent. Um, So I think those like itty bitty moments in time throughout childhood, they amount to larger lessons like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think any mom, any great mom or parents, you know, like, that's just, that's just a thing. Um, I would say it's not as important, like, you know, like the two or three points that you missed, like, that's not the point. It's really more like, are you pushing yourself to be the best you can be? Again, when it comes to immigrants in America, like everyone has a different story. So um, I I don't want to, I don't want to say anything in a blanket way. Um, But yeah, I would say for a lot of Asian Americans, education um, and the importance of education was very much um, drilled down at home. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I feel like I could say, you know, just knowing my friends yeah. um, firsthand. Okay, okay. But so they were, you were able to kind of, uh, they were able to get behind your decision to go to culinary school, get these skills, and then you worked at a restaurant. And then how did you pivot back to journalism? So, um, after, uh, so I spent, you know, several months at ABC Kitchen, but I knew that that being in a restaurant um, was not going to be where, like, where I wanted to be career-wise, though the people who work at re- restaurants now and forevermore will get my utmost respect mm. because it is no joke. Like, it is, like, you have to really love it to be there. <laughs> and um, these people are so talented and uh, and who knows if they'll ever get their like time in the sun if they want it but these are the people making um you know helping to get lead chefs 
fame and and Michelin stars and it's it's like it's on the back it's again it's back to teamwork it's like it's on the backs of every single person you work with and for um you have to like just keep that bigger mission in mind so anyway yeah I, I just want to give a shout out to everyone who has ever worked in the food industry because it, it's a different beast um and then you emerge from it really with a, like talk about camaraderie right when you're working with people on the line for um for hours and they're like the the orders are endless like the the, the string of orders don't stop um, that's that's an important shout out i'm glad i'm glad you did i'm glad yeah. you made a shout out <laughs> no truly i give people so i mean it's i i have so much respect for people who work and cook and work back of house front of house for, for restaurants um but to answer your question how I got out of it was we ended up, Olaf and I, my husband, we, we had talked about starting a family so that it just, we kind of put a pause on, you know, restaurant food life and um, I got pregnant and yeah. And then I, I, I had the opportunity to kind of stay home for a bit with Lana. And then when I, when I was ready to kind of reenter the workforce, um, that's when I, again, wanted to go back into like the digital space with a focus on food and lifestyle. So that's and, how I reinserted myself. <laughs> and how was reinserting yourself with a child now? <laughs> now your mom uh, and you're yeah. back, kind of back in the workforce after not, not that big of a break, but, but still you were not like gainfully employed while you went on a maternity leave. And you know, yeah. so you, you, it, you did still kind of have to reinsert yourself. Yeah, that was the trade-off, right? So in the U.S., it, it's not, it doesn't make it, this country doesn't make it as easy as it could be yeah. um, for women to re-enter the workforce. But yeah, it wasn't easy. It was not, um, it, took a, it took a minute, first of all. Like I wanted to go back to work um, full-time probably when Lana turned, you know, one up until then I was just like freelancing, but, you know, finding, um, a suitable job, you know, it takes time and, and, and finding a good fit to make it worth that time. And then from there, when you did get back in the workplace, correct me if I'm wrong, but like, then that's where like food media really became your thing or no, you, then you went to, wait, then you went to InStyle. Yeah. So okay. In style. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, so yeah, again, I was covering news, like celebrity news and lifestyle and lifestyle, of course, encompassing the food sure. space. So I was still in it, but not as much as I had wanted. Um, but it was after that, that I went to food 52 where yes. actually it was funny because I had, you know, helped um, test recipes for them years prior when I was in culinary school. But um I, I was their senior lifestyle editor, so I helped helm all of the, you know, home design, travel content, but I also had a hand in, you know, contributing recipes and writing. Yeah, and I, I had the, the opportunity to work with you a little bit while you were there. Oh, yeah. of course. Fantastic. Um, what, was that your first experience then, uh, kind of leading a team and having people uh, report into you? Um, yes. Although again, Food 52 is, uh, like it was a small team. So I didn't have that many reports, but like our editorial team in general was just really tight. And, um, even if I didn't manage all of them, I being like a more senior person on that team, I, I 
I just loved working with, um, well, I loved working with everyone, but especially the junior members. I mean, when you're sitting, when you're like rubbing elbows with your teammate, it's, it's hard not to um, get to know them and like get in each other's business and become close um, friends outside of work too. So yeah, for, for that experience, I'm so grateful for all the friendships that came out of it. And I, and I do think that like a, a part of Mama Bear that I didn't just mention is like being critical in a, in a good way, right? In a way that improves people. <laughs> and is that, is that something that, is that hard? Um, I, I don't think it's hard. Is it hard for the person <laughs> listening, like on the receiving end, maybe? <laughs> um, I, I mean, in that sense, I, ha I, I always have to, of course, observe boundaries and make sure I'm not like, um, I, like I, my, my um, intent is never to be like a blowhard or like a stern mother or anything like that. But again, like you kind of repeat how you were raised. So it's mm -hmm. like, I only want the best for those around me. And if I know or feel that they can be a better version of themselves, I'm not going to stand back and just like coddle them. It's like, I will press and ask questions and, you know, ask about XYZ project and how that's going. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm curious about like, since you mentioned your own mom and how that's like kind of, you know, is possibly reflected in, in your work and how you relate to these other people. Do you see any reflections between how like your mama bear status at work and then actually being a mom to Lana? Yeah, well, it's so funny because people have called me like maternal, even like way before I had her. Like, really? I, th I think that's just my nature. If you ask like my close group of girlfriends, mm -hmm. I've kind of always been one of the ones to like lead the charge, have the social calendar, mm -hmm. who's bringing what, you know, like, <laughs> and like poking and prodding all <laughs> to make sure everyone. Um, is, is, I mean, probably less now because I'm too busy being a real mom, but like, yeah, like I've definitely exhibited those qualities way beforehand. Um, but yeah, I mean, that gives me a sense of pleasure to take care of others as well. So it's not all, you know, work. Yeah. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> That's oh, good. yeah, but exactly. And I'm, I'm sure I've, you know, scaled back a lot since having Lana since I actually have to mother her. <laughs> yeah. So that takes a bit of time as well. <laughs> what would you what, what's some of the advice you would give um, mamas uh, kind of struggling with the balancing of everything? I mean, we're, you know, I, I don't think I'm in any place to give advice because it's it is a struggle and it's unique to every family. And um, I would, I, like, I don't know what, if what I say, um, makes a difference in anyone's life, but it's just know that, like, we're all going through it, and, um, I think the silver lining to this pandemic is the opportunity to spend more time with family, right? And so I keep trying to make that the overarching theme, and, yeah, it's like, what, other moment in our lives would we spend this much time with our nuclear families like 
like truly I don't have an answer to that. Like only a pandemic has shown us that it would be now. So I'm just trying to appreciate like the meals together. And yes, it's also like a little crazy with the um, distance learning (laughs) and working from home. But um, ultimately like Lana, she loves, she, she's loved it. She's been loving it. And um, she actually hasn't really missed her friends as much as I expected (laughs) she would. And she, um, I hope she doesn't become like, like a house cat, but like she's (laughs) fine with like staying in for long stretches of time now. So I mean, um, I think it's good. Yeah. I feel like it's a really important thing to like enjoy spending time with yourself. And oh, I, yeah. I feel so old when I'm like, these kids these days, like they, they don't know how to do that. Um, oh, yeah, I know. I mean, even in seeing how Lana um, consumes like television or screen time, and she'll try to like, we turn on the television in God knows how long, and you can't see through commercials. And so she was like, really frustrated. And I'm like, you're sitting through that commercial because like, you get <laughs> like, I, this, this, culture of like immediate gratification is yeah. it's like that's not good either so yeah. I, it's like maybe I'm old school uh, like too old school of a parent but I think it's fine to be bored sometimes and like the constant need to entertain your children like it's it's not I mean it's it's not serving the children um when they grow older so yeah I let her kind of roll around and be bored for a bit until she figures out what she wants to do next yeah well I mean when you say that you kind of started answering this question of mine with like well you know I don't know if I'm in a place to give advice on it but to just share an experience and I I think that like that is possibly the most important thing of just people feeling that they're not alone. And then I'm going to take it a step further and even say specifically, um, people who work in any kind of like anything creative in what they do, I think there's like a lot of sense of, am I the only one experiencing this? Certainly freelancers, which you've been in this role before and like, you know, who knows what's next for you in the future. But I just feel like it's really important that we all everyone listening it's like you're not the only one (laughs) yes yes you're not the only one and um call your friends or your mom or whomever if you feel lonely um or feel down because that's totally natural and that's okay and it's so funny like going back to lana it's like kids are so um pure she's six and so she's you know she's getting older but like she's still so pure and just showing her emotions like uh, she's just like I I feel a little down or I'm so happy you know like she just tells me when what she feels and it's it's so refreshing because I don't have to like dig it out of her um that'll change when she's a teenager (laughs) exactly (laughs) And, and sometimes it's okay and I tell her like it's okay to feel you know, if she's feeling down or whatever, bored, I'm like, it's okay to feel bored or or blue. Like, you know, you're allowed to, and you're also allowed to feel multiple emotions at once. So you can be happy, but happy that you're with us, but sad that you're not with your friends or, you know, there are a lot of lessons to be (laughs) learned in quarantine um, for both adults and kids. (laughs) Amen. Amen to that. Okay. A last food question for you. Um, What is your go-to like meal in quarantine or just kind of in general like what's what's the food you cook for yourself 
gosh, like, what am I not cooking, girl? (laughs) I mean, uh, but honestly, like, I don't mind it. And, you know, I've been um, active at the start of quarantine just uh, on on Instagram. And because I'm just like, I I actually love to cook everything. But yes, I would say my, the, the bulk of my home food is rooted in Korean and like Japanese style food. So and I would say that is our mainstay. Yeah. But Which, of course, you know, we love a sourdough pizza. Oh, of- <laughs> I have seen those yeah. rumor the photos <laughs> <Yeah>. of yours. <laughs> yeah. It's like, of course, we're going to have pizza at least once a week, you yeah. know, probably on a Friday. I know you yes. guys also in- enjoy pizza night Fridays. I've, I've got my <laughs> dough rising downstairs. Before I let you go, I have to know how you keep it quirky. Oh, gosh. I am... I... I think being in quarantine has really put into laser focus, like how much time I actually love being at home. Um, I don't, I I haven't minded. I mean, now that the weather's getting nicer, yes, I want to step outside more, but I really haven't minded being home um, that much. And, you know, just reading, this is not quirky. It's probably like, you know, uh, me just, I don't know, but keeping it quirky to me means being true to your desires and bringing yourself back to your um, kid-like, your interests as a kid. So whether it's reading books or puttering around in your like loungewear or actually I like my husband and I love British crime dramas. So Like, that is how we keep it quirky, which is not that's, that quirky at no, all. No, no, that's amazing. <laughs> Hannah, your definition of it, I absolutely love. I mean, I, I'm going to take a page from that. I um, oh. I really love it. So, Hannah, you keep it quirky with the best of them. And thank you so much for coming on the Keep It Quirky podcast. Thanks, Katie. Always love to chat with you. You can follow Hannah on Instagram at Hannah Osbrink, H-A-N-A-A-S-B-R-I-N-K. And you can check out her latest hobby, her YouTube videos called Mood Food by just searching her name in YouTube. Uh, I cut out that part of our chat just for time's sake. But basically, even as executive editor of Chow Han, she decided for fun to start her own YouTube channel uh, showing some of her favorite recipes. It's really simple, really clean just step-by-step of the videos without a bunch of chit-chat or loud music or anything like that. And so you can check out her delicious recipes there. And also her podcast for Chow Hound is called Table Talk. Check that out too. Thanks as always to the musician Funky BQ, Brian Quinn for the theme song you're listening to here. And you guys don't forget to sign up for my Q Katie newsletter. It comes out once a month. It is short and fun, entertaining. I talk about some of the things that I've been up to and some interesting things that I've found on the internet. And as always, I kindly request that you rate and review this podcast if you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I'm taking a short summer hiatus, so I will not see you back here next week, but I will see you back here really soon. So make sure you're subscribed to this pod if you aren't yet, so that the next episode just shows up in your feed. Thanks again, and do me a favor. Until next time, don't forget to keep it quirky. All right, bye, everyone.